The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new season of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at jermccarthy 74 On this week's show, our special VIP guest is Munster Rugby Interprovincial Claude O'Halloran and Munster Chairperson Wendy Keane, and is also back on the show. Sarah Mackenzie Foley returns to the Big Red Bench to discuss the upcoming Formula One season and a winter full of interesting F1 headlines. Cork NGFA senior and AFLW star Eric O'Shea plus Cork manager Shane Ronane give their reaction to last weekend's National League draw with Waterford. AFLW expert and coach Mike Curran has all the latest inside news and gossip from the AFLW down under. And we finish with an update on a very busy winter and new year period for Munster women's hockey with PRO Graham Catchball. That's all to come on this week's Women in Sport podcast. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan makes a welcome return to the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to discuss under-18 interprovincial and schools rugby-related topics from the past week. And we're absolutely delighted to be joined on this week's season premiere by special VIP guest, Munster Rugby Interprovincial winning second row, Cloda O'Halloran. Cloda joined us on this week's show to talk about winning the 2023 interprovincial title with Munster, proposing to her girlfriend, Chloe Pierce getting selected for the Combined Provinces panel, who defeated Wales Development Squad 27-26 this past weekend. Now, I am delighted to be joined on the first podcast of the brand new season here on Cork Street FM's Big Red Bench by two very important people in Munster Women's Rugby Circles, um, our usual expert and uh, weekly guest, Chairperson of Munster Women's Rugby, Wendy Keenan joins us. Wendy, how are you? I'm great and uh, Happy New Year. Delighted to be back. Just a one month late, how bad? Likewise, back to herself. And we're delighted as well on this week's show to be joined by our VIP guest, Munster second row, Cloda O'Halloran. Cloda, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Jared. Thanks. I'm um, good. Very nice of you to join us. I know how busy things are at the moment. You're just coming off a game just yesterday against the Welsh Development Squad. But can we start, first of all, by congratulating you um, on getting uh, engaged to, to Chloe Pierce? Congratulations on that. Thanks very much. <laughs> You were saying before you. you were saying before we started recording, you're getting congratulated a lot at the moment and you're not quite sure what to say sometimes. You're not sure if it's the rugby or the engagement. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of both. But um, yeah, people have been phenomenal with their support in, in every aspect. Um, but yeah, we're, we're just happy now. Yeah, the, the actual engagement and the, the moment itself was captured because it occurred. Uh, you can just fill us in for people who don't know, but when and where did that occur? Um, happened in our second series uh, game against Leinster and uh, luckily we beat Leinster and then I thought it was the, the perfect moment to go down on one knee and then post to, to Chloe, my partner. Well, yeah, good timing and fairness. Uh, can I ask you how nerve-wracking that was? I mean, you're coming off the pitch after one, one of the tougher interprovincial matches of the season. Um, you were all tired and wrecked yourself and Chloe included, but um, a lovely moment. But were you nervous? Um, I actually wasn't before the game. I was more concentrated on the game itself, I suppose. And then I was thinking if it happened, it happened to be perfect. And if not, there'll be another opportunity. But um, yeah, I suppose 10 minutes till the end, I was, I was looking at the clock and every minute going down <laughs> um, to the final whistle. But yeah, it, it, um, it worked out to the end and it was perfect. And no nerves that the answer was going to be positive. No, I actually don't even think she got a chance to say yes because the girls just <laughs> ran in with excitement. 
Um, but yeah, she she eventually said yes, I think, the next day. <laughs> I can confirm that. Good, excellent. Uh, well, congratulations again. Uh, a lovely moment for you and for Chloe, and we wish you all the best in the future. But we're here to talk as well about Munster Women's Rugby and a fantastic season for Munster because they've captured or recaptured the Vodafone Interprovincial Series title and doing so with three wins out of three, scoring, um, playing a lovely brand of rugby under Neil Briggs, scoring 18 tries and 110 points, uh, the statistics tell us. But from your point of view, Claude, what was what was the Munster setup like this year under Neil Briggs? Obviously, it, it ended in the way you wanted to. You got three victories, you got the title, which is what you were after. But under Neil Briggs, what's the, what's the mood and the vibe in the camp been like um, since the start of this campaign? I suppose underneath Briggs and if you have Fiona Hayes there, it's always going to be a professional setup. Um, every training session we had, the session plan was sent out before, so we'd know what we were getting ready for. Um, the support we've had from Munster this year has been phenomenal. Um, that from the little things to having food straight after training, um, and just even the day, the game days, like it's. It was just a breeze to walk in and you could just concentrate on the game then. Um, but back to Neve Briggs, yeah, I suppose when you have a coach like that that has so much knowledge of the game um, and she's so much history behind her, like everyone kind of follows in her footsteps in that way. And kind of, I suppose you, you'd have the underage girls that always looked up to her in that way, including myself. Um, but yeah, overall, it's just been a great setup and very professional. So... It's lovely to train under under that. Um, it's obvious from the way you're talking, and not just in in the Leinster game, but it, across the interprovincial series, that the step up in professionalism now for Munster women's rugby, not just Munster women's rugby, but women's rugby in general, players are responding. You know, it's it's the same old adage like give people a chance to be professional, irrespective of whether they're male or female, and you'll get the you'll get the you'll get the response you deserve. And Munster certainly responded brilliantly in all three games. Yeah, definitely. Um, even our gym sessions being allowed to use the HPC in, in UL, like that gives you a lift itself, I think, when you're in the professional environments. Um, so yeah, like it's it's been nice to be involved with. With respect to Ulster and Connacht, the Leinster game, I would imagine, would have been penciled in by a lot of Munster players in the back of their minds, um, not taking anything away from Ulster and Connacht because those, those are games you still have to go and win. But the fact that Leinster last year, and being you know the way it ended between yourselves and Leinster, um, for your own point of view, uh, it was a very impressive win. Uh, you also got a try uh, playing in second rows. I don't know how happy you were about that. But um, the level of competition is always high when it comes to interprovincials. Have you experienced it? Was it even more intense this year because of the development games that followed and coming into the you know into the Six Nations? The stakes are kind of high now for players involved like yourselves because you're you're not alone trying to represent your your province and win an interprovincial series. You've also got one eye on trying to get into that international team. So have you found that the intensity for me watching what what, what I watched of it, it was as intense as ever. But there seems to be an edge this year because players are looking for international places. Um, yeah, like playing against Leinster, it's always going to be a huge competition. Um, but as a player myself, I don't kind of like to look too far ahead. Um, so you kind of take every game as it comes. Um, but regarding to the standard, like I think it's improving every year. It's um, And that's probably down to the coaching and the, and the training that we do and being planned out properly. Um, and then I suppose the recovery and injury management has been is being kept tight and um, with our physio backroom and um, backroom team and stuff. Um, so yeah, like I suppose coming in as champions from last year, then you're 
you're the top dog, so you probably do have um have a bit to to stand down on then when they're when they're coming in as some bit of an underdog. But yeah, uh, it suited you, uh, is it? Uh, rather, it didn't seem to bother you uh, too much having that favourite side because you delivered and you responded. Is is another reason for that, Claude, the competition for places now that there's depth underneath Briggs and and Fiona and everyone in the backroom team to this monster team, and we've talked a lot about it on this podcast over the last year or two with with Wendy about the pathway for young players now and getting things right at under 14, under 16, under 18, that when players now come in from the under 18 setup, they're actually better prepared as no, as good as they can be for, for, for the rigors of interprovincial adult rugby. Have you noticed that, that the players that are starting to come in now are starting to push it up a bit quicker for positions and you've got to be on your toes? Yeah. Like myself, I only started playing rugby when I was 18. So a lot of these young ones are, have, probably played more rugby than I have <laughs> coming in um but yeah they're always pushing us like and it, it's great to see like we had um Kate Flannery that came in there in in the center she's only 18 like just just in the first year in college and it's just phenomenal to see the skill they have and they back themselves like we love the confidence especially in Munster like to, to wear that jersey and at that age like it's just it's just brilliant like um yeah. And the other skills is just it's just way better than than I was at 18 anyway. No, you're not that much older. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that much older. But I would imagine as well that like the way you've spoken there as well, that like that that bit of youth and that injection of youth into a panel, a squad, um, it pushes everybody in training, and especially underneath Briggs, I would imagine as well organized as you clearly were this year. That's another spur then to go take that out onto the pitch and deliver each and every day and each and every training session, I'd imagine, underneath. Yeah, definitely. Like our training camps were were brilliant. Like there was such a good buzz around the group, and the older ones were were kind of helping out the younger ones, and we're we were learning from the younger ones as well. So yeah, it was it was a brilliant buzz. Like you could see that something something was um, special coming with this group. But yeah, hopefully it stays now for the next few years. Oh, I think it will. I think certainly from the brand of rugby that was played this year alone and the depth, as I said, now that's coming through as well, the, the, the bringing the players through and getting them ready, making them ready for the for the jump. Wendy, as chairperson of Munster Women's Rugby, congratulations, uh, Munster retaining the Interprovincial Series. Talk to me about Claude, uh, the second row and the kind of performances she put in this year because um, she's just one of a, of a big squad, yes, but a, a very important cog in that wheel. Yeah, I mean, uh, Claude had a really solid performance, I thought, through all other matches and I... I suppose the highlight for me was I suppose we were all a bit nervous in relation to the Leinster match. It's always going to be probably the toughest one. And Claude getting that first try was just so crucial to break that line. Um, so I was delighted. And she just, you know, I think you grew from there, Claude, in terms of, you know what I mean, your ball carrying and, and taking on, um, you know, scoring chances and look well-deserved, you know what I mean, got her selection to be on the Combined Provinces um, team in the, in the new competition. So, um, look, I mean, you've, you've mentioned about the development pathways and, and that's really important for us to see that the girls have that, you know, that pathway through, you know what I mean? Now we've got an extra jersey as well, you know, the Combined Provinces as well as the, the Irish jersey, another stepping stone. And we mentioned those young girls coming through, they've come through that development pathway. You know, they, we've been talking about under 16s, under 18s, development programs. So the girls have come through those, they played into pros at under 18s and, and now they're getting a crack at the under 18. But what, what's lovely to see is they're taking those opportunities with such confidence. I mean, the brand of rugby that the team played was just superb, you know, coached, as we said, by Neil. But it, for me, it was, I suppose, the, the exciting brand of rugby, the attacking rugby that was played. 
um, you know, was the key feature throughout. And look, Leinster was the key match. There's no doubt about it. Um, they and, and it was a comprehensive win. It was 26-17. It wasn't just a one pointer, you know what I mean, or a one try match. Um, and to finish it off in in the caliber that the team did was just, you know what I mean, was just superb. Yes, very well said. And before we let you go, Claudia, because we know we have to head off, we want to talk about that win over the Welsh Development Squad this past weekend, a 27-26 win for the Combined Provinces panel. Now, this is new, and it's a bridge between the Interprovincials, as Wendy's just outlined there, and the Six Nations, we hope, for as many players who want to put themselves in the shop window for a senior selection. How have you found being involved in the Combined Provinces panel, and what was that match like yesterday against Wales? Um, it's, been, it's been hectic, <laughs> just straight after um, Interpros, um Originally, I thought we might have had a week break, but no, we're thrown straight in. Um, we're training up in the HBC in Dublin every Tuesday and Thursday. Um, and we flew out. Well, we actually only had two training sessions together, and then we flew out to uh, Cardiff on Saturday morning and then to play our game uh, Sunday. But to be honest, it's, like, it's a brilliant experience. I'm, I'm so proud and, and happy to be involved with it. Um, and the group that's there, like most of them I probably played against. So trying to trying to get your head around that and, and be on the same team with them is um it's a, it's a good experience. And just one last question, he said yet again before we let you go. What are the immediate and the long term goals for you now uh, as a monster and hopefully as an Irish international in this, this coming season and beyond? Um I suppose we'll get through this Celtic Cup and and hopefully we'll um we'll have a clean clean sheet going through. Um and then obviously the goal is to try and break through the Six Nations team. Um, yeah, that's the plan, hopefully. Well, excellent stuff. Oh, I just supposed to just just add in there, Jeremy, we've, we've eight players involved there in that in that squad in the, the Celtic Cup. Um, well, we're delighted, you know what I mean, to see the eight and to see the girls playing yesterday was superb. You know, we are a little bit disappointed. We, you know what I mean? It's our second year winning the Interpros. We did only get eight into the panel. Um, you know, so uh, Ulster would have 10. Connacht have four, but Leinster have 21. So, look, we feel we have more talent. I, you know what I mean? There's some young girls there that I thought I might have got included, the likes of Aoife Corey. I'm sure, Claudia, you might agree. Do you know what I mean? Had another superb um, tournament um, championship with us. So, hopefully, we'll get more more girls feeding through onto that onto that team. As ever, Wendy, always flying the flag for Munster at the appropriate moment. Uh, Claudia, you couldn't have a better chairperson behind you. But listen, we're going to let you go because we know how busy you are. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us here on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. We're going to watch out for you over the coming season and hopefully catch up with you maybe a little later on in the year as well to see how things are going. But for now, congratulations on a fantastic interprovincial series. Congratulations to yourself and Chloe on your engagement and uh, all the best for the future. Thanks, William. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Bye bye now. That was Claude Halloran, the Munster uh, second row, who uh, represented the province brilliantly during the recent interprovincial series, which of course Munster won out. Before we finish up our rugby segment on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast, Wendy's going to stay on with us and she's going to talk to us first of all about the under 18 interpros that are coming up during the midterm, Wendy. Yeah, so, uh, you know, following our, our development programme, North, South, East and West, we've the number of, I suppose, girls training on that development scout, uh, squad has been weaned down to 30 players. And that's for the up and coming uh, Interpros. And it'll be played differently this year. It's going to be played during the midterm break. So the girls will have two matches. Um, I think it's going to be Sunday and Thursday. That's just to be confirmed. And that's in light of selection process for the under 18 squad. 
um, the Irish Under 18 squad we saw that starting last year. Um, so hopefully they'll have their own festival and the girls will start training very soon after that into pros for that. So we've a very exciting few players included in that. So um, hopefully we'll see some more girls wearing the green jersey. Indeed. Uh, and like you said, like the pathway that's working now within Munster, there's plenty of talent coming through. So there's a lot of girls putting their hands up for, for selection here, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I suppose like we'll talk a little bit about the schools, but, you know, having the schools is another avenue into the game and um, certainly, you know, sh- shines a light on some players. And, you know, some girls are transferring over from other sports and get, that gives them an avenue too as well for that. So, um, yeah, I just love, you know, me, I love watching the young girls and the exciting talent coming through. And um, we mentioned Kate Flannery there when we were talking about Cloda, another lovely talent. But um, uh, what we didn't mention, I suppose, and I think is really important is that Nia Briggs kept an extended squad of 34 this season in the Interpose. Now, obviously, not all those girls were ever going to get a game, but it was important to have them in that training competitive environment. So they now know what's needed of them when they stop step up into the into the senior category. And you know what I mean, and being if you like that semi-professional environment that Neve created. Yeah, very well put. Hopefully, we'll talk to Neve Briggs down the line as well. We might get around the podcast and just go through one of those the reasoning behind that it's obviously very sound reasoning it's obviously going to help players in the future um, but fantastic uh, all around and good to hear that the Monster Interpros um, we'll have a few of those involved we'll keep an eye on that over the coming weeks finally you mentioned the Senior and the Junior Schools Cups which have already been launched um, and the first rounds have been completed yeah, so I mean, um, we're you know picking up, I suppose, where we left off last year, um, where we kicked off our, our first ever in the country, actually, in, in, in once it was the first province to introduce Junior and Senior Cup, uh, Schools Cup. And um, look, we're delighted with the growth of the game. Um, I have to acknowledge the development staff. It's on the back of the Emerging Schools programme that we've been talking about for the last couple of months. So we have 15 schools competing competitively in the 15-a-side um, Schools Cup, uh, 10 at Junior, so there's a big growth there and five at senior so we've seen the the six schools in start off in the junior cup so we have Gloucester Pobble Bantry have defeated Villiers of Limerick Bandon had a narrow defeat over St Mary's and Nina and St Joseph College Boris Lee have defeated Thomond uh, Community College so like before we even go on to talk about this and you can see already that you know we're getting to parts of the country that you know we wouldn't have the tradition I suppose of of being rugby schools but um you know they're doing really really well and uh, we'll move on to the next round and there'll be four more uh, schools involved in the next round the senior cup actually kicks off this week so uh two prelim matches this week so we've St Anne's of Killaloo versus um Sacred Heart in Clonakilty and Orth Gulvera um Limerick versus Bandon Grammar so two very exciting matches this week um so yeah, look, it's it, it, as I said, it's another avenue into the game, and um, it's the numbers are really growing in terms of our schools game. Yeah, excellent stuff, and great to hear so many West Cork schools. He said from uh, his home base, and they'll be taking particular interest in Sacred Heart, kind of guilty and seeing how they go. But we will cover all of that and a whole lot more over the coming season on our regular weekly slot here to do with Munster Women's Rugby. Once again, Wendy Keenan, it's great to have you back on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast, and we look forward to talking to you throughout what's going to be a very very busy year. Thanks, Million Jerry. Delighted to be back. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Resident Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley is back with us for another season of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. I caught up with Sarah this past week to discuss FIA President Mohammed Ben Salem starting 2023 with multiple scandals, the FIA's decision to censor F1 personnel with new rulings from 2023 onwards, 
and all the latest leadership and team principle changes across the F1 paddock. We are back for a brand new season of Formula One coverage and there's only one person to get on the line for that. Our resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, joins us again for 2023 here on Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Sarah, welcome back. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, very excited to be back on the podcast. I've been missing some uh, some good, robust Formula <laughs> One uh, discussion over the last few weeks, so I'm delighted to be back. And some uh, patented Ferrari morning, but we'll keep that for another <laughs> while. We won't get into that just yet. It may not be. It is the off-season. It is the new year. Uh, we still haven't had any particular uh, major launches just yet, but they're, they're all coming in the coming weeks, and you're going to cover those for us. But that doesn't mean, as usual, Formula 1 has not been in the headlines. And unfortunately, Sarah, we start with some pretty negative uh, headlines and coming from the FIA president involving multiple scandals, uh, tweets and sexist comments, to say, the, to put it mildly. Um, can you tell us what Mohammed Ben Suleiman has been saying? Yeah, so he he's the president of the FIA, which uh, people will will know as the for, the Formula One governing body, and he seems to be sort of increasingly taking a leaf out of the Elon Musk, Donald Trump book as far as it comes to posting inflammatory tweets and things like that. He's sort of been making headlines for all the wrong reasons, some of which you mentioned, and this is just in the last couple of weeks. So it's been kind of a rough start, really, for for the Formula One brand, I would say. Um, you know, he's done everything from contesting Formula One's monetary valuation, uh, which was announced not too long ago, to being mentioned by British politicians who basically said that he was kind of untrustworthy, uh, which I would not disagree with. And uh, most recently, there was a blog post, an archived blog post, which reappeared uh, from 2001, where he made some, some pretty sexist comments expressing views that he dislikes women who think they're smarter than men because this is not in fact true, um, which is just, you know, the, the FIA have come out and said, you know, they don't, these views are 22 years old and they are not his current views. But I think it's just, when you add it on top of everything that he has already said, I think it just doesn't paint a very, a very positive picture or a very trustworthy picture, I would say. Yeah, I think that's putting it mildly in fairness here, and that's a good summation of what's been going on. Um, You know, sexism in Formula 1, unfortunately, as you well know better than I do, um, has been prevalent for far too long and continues to be so. But when you see somebody as high up as uh, Sully, I mean, getting away with it, basically at the moment getting away with it, it reminds me, unfortunately, of FIFA and the world Mm -hmm. governing soccer body who are just a a holy mess. there's also, uh, you've mentioned the concerns from British politicians over the lack of culpability for F1 um, and the way it decides to conduct races, which is another layer to this bad news coming out of F1 and FIA in the early New Year. Can you explain that? Yeah, so there was sort of a, a debate about this, essentially, and the there was a letter sent last year, I believe in March, um, some British politicians sent a letter expressing concern over the countries where... Formula One was either had recently added races or was conducting races and where they were looking at them and just essentially posing questions that, you know, many of which we have talked about here on the podcast ourselves in the last year and they did not get a response. So that's almost a year ago. And just essentially they were calling out, look, these are pretty big ticket items and we would like a response on them. I don't necessarily... I don't necessarily know if, if British politics is the right forum for that discussion, mm. but I think it's interesting that 
that's where it's come up and that that is where, you know, there may be other other letters may have been sent. We, we just don't know at this point, but they have made a point of recognising the fact that these letters have gone unanswered and that they would still like, you know, some explanations for the decisions that Formula One has made in, in recent years. Yeah, the way you, and you've explained it very well there, I think the thing from, the thing in the back of my mind here is money. There's obviously mm, money, there's absolutely. obviously a lot of money involved and there's obviously something coming down the line um, as we've seen from, not just from the Netflix series, but even from the coverage and Sky's coverage, the clearly the mind-boggling amounts of money now that are involved in Formula mm. One um, because it's moving east, it's moving west. It's not necessarily basing itself in Europe as much as it is. There's a lot more money to be made on and off the track and it's attracting, I think, a lot more interest in investors potentially and maybe that's causing this kind of you know not maybe the bad headlines and the and and the, and the sexist comments and the bizarre tweets and and just the culpability and the whole lot i think maybe this is needs to come out now to mm. as a reminder to investors unfortunately not for the greater good of the sport or humanity unfortunately but mm. for the likes of investors that might be thinking about coming in because you look at the money slushing around the Premier League and how far the English Premier League has moved ahead of every other league in the world right now in terms of revenue, in terms of transfers, in terms of money in there. I look at Formula One and I think the people behind it are trying to move ahead of NASCAR. I think they're trying to move ahead or get in on the NASCAR pie in America, which is not an easy thing to do because it's such a traditional Mm -hmm. and entrenched thing, that all these bad negative headlines are necessary as a kind of cleansing exercise to say right well if some if we do go to america if we do go to the middle east these kind of things just you know they they don't they won't wash with investors who want to have their name and and you know up and blazing and all the advertising that comes with formula one how much of it do you think is is that or am i off the mark i think it's tough because you know formula one has sort of flip-flopped in terms of how how PC it wants to be over the years. You know, they they outlawed, uh, they put a ban on any companies that made cigarettes, you know, advertising. Like that was a huge thing for years in Formula One. And then they sort of clamped out on that saying, you know, this is, this is unhealthy. We don't want to promote it. And now they're talking about, should we get away from, you know, alcohol? Should we get away from energy drinks? All of these things. So it's, it's strange in a way to me that they, fixate on these smaller items or they fixate, you know, they kind of pick and choose the the things that they want to be upset about and the things that they want to make, you know, statements on. And I think the the money side of it is huge. And I actually, I watched the FIFA Uncovered documentary before Christmas and unfortunately was drawing a lot of mm. connecting dots and uh, seeing a lot of parallels with Formula One and the way it's being run. And it is really concerning you know, as, as a fan of the sport and Mm. someone who comes on a podcast or comes on, you know, a social media platform and talks about how much they love it. And then had to have to stand up and say, this is also happening. You know, it's, it's, um, it's really tough. I think, and I would love a cleansing exercise. I think think it would unearth uh, probably some very deeply concerning things, but I would, I would just hate to see this tick on and on and on the way the the way FIFA did, and you know, really, it was too late by the time they got to the end of it in FIFA. And um, I think we could be going down that track. In all honesty, we could if if we take your next point, which is the FIA deciding to censor uh, players from twenty twenty three. Can you give us an outline of what this is? This is this is bizarre. I mean, whatever about the money and the yeah. and, and and the the people at the top saying the wrong things. Can you explain what you mean? Um, you know, the background to this because this caught me by surprise. Huh? 
Yeah, so the FIA made a change in late December announcing that it would no longer allow displays of political, religious or personal statements or comments, um, notably those which are in violation of the general principle of neutrality, which is promoted by the FIA. Um, Only approved statements would be allowed going forward from the drivers. So the irony there is that by deciding on what is approved or unapproved, the FIA is in itself making a statement as to what they're willing to accept or not accept. So I just find it bizarre, like a number of the drivers just recently, Valtteri Bottas has spoken out and said, I don't understand why this needs to exist. Mm. Why do they, why are we supposed to have anyone controlling what we're saying? This seems really bizarre. And I think everyone has has felt like that, to be honest with you, in reaction to it. Mm. Um, And the saddest part of it for me is that Coming back to the FIA, um, you know, the head of the FIA, he himself has said he's called out people like Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton and Lando Norris as sort of bad examples of people who made too many statements about their political or personal beliefs down to Lando Norris, you know, calling out Lando Norris for talking about mental health. It's, you know, it's 2023. I really don't think we can be talking down on anyone who's trying to promote good mental health. So again, just a really concerning trend here. And I don't know what the internal approval processes or, you know, who who signs off on these things and how you could not be sitting around that table and, and have no one say this seems bizarre and, you know, like not the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I think this is this is controlling the narrative gone too far. Uh, and I think, mm-hmm. again, this is to do with investment. This is the American audience now. This is a lot more eyeballs and ears on, on the product than ever before. And the FIA have just clearly gone crazy on trying to control something they won't be able to control. Because how can you stop people from, like you said, speaking out about uh, so social and political issues they have a platform to do it as Formula 1 drivers they have millions of followers why wouldn't they anyway mm-hmm. look that's enough negativity about the FIA I think we're going to be I think I don't think we've, we've seen the end of it talk to us about the leadership changes across the paddock um, as we head into the beginning of testing in a very very important time uh, for the Formula 1 season uh, Sarah yeah, it's been very busy since the end of November. Uh, since we last spoke, Benotto was obviously gone from Ferrari, been uh, replaced by Fred Vasseur, who was then replaced uh, at Alfa Romeo by Andrea Seidel, who came from McLaren, of course. Um, we also recently had the announcement from Williams that they have taken on James Vowles as their team principal. So Yas Capital was about two years in that role. Really tough role, to be fair, in a struggling team. So I think... It'll be interesting to see James Folds, who was the chief strategist in Mercedes previously, kind of come in and, and take that by the horns. And then a certain sort of strange one to cap it off. Uh, yeah. Alfa Romeo have decided they won't really have a team principal um, this year. However, the role that they have carved out, which is called an F1 representative, has a very similar set of responsibilities. So again, I think just you know, going a bit over the top here, trying to be different. Uh, but we can we can we can see how it plays out at the very least. Oh we're going oh, we're gonna be keeping a close eye on Alfa Romeo at the start of twenty <laughs> that to me sounds like somebody's contract doesn't need to say something so for for particular money we're going back to money again. But um yeah, interesting changes uh, at at the top in the paddock and as time goes on we'll be talking more about the teams. We'll have a look at each of the teams before the season starts here uh, across the the weeks. 
on the Big Red Bench uh, Women in Sport podcast. Uh, a lot of changes, a lot of negativity coming out of the FIA. We'll be covering all of that too. But uh, ahead of the new season, before we finally get down to, to the real nitty gritty in the practice, Sarah, where can we find you uh, on social media? Yeah, so on YouTube, you'll find me at Sarah McKenzie F1, or you can search hashtag women in motorsport and you'll find me there as well. Um, I'm also on Twitter at MacTweets underscore and on Instagram at MacGram underscore. Sarah, it's great to have you back on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast, and we will talk Formula One once again next week. Great stuff. Thanks, sir. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. I was in Kilkenny this past weekend to get Cork LGFA senior manager Shane Ronane and North Melbourne AFLW star Erica O'Shea's aftermatch comments following the Rebels' 2-9-2-9 draw with Waterford in the National Football League. Ronane and O'Shea gave the Big Red Bench their opinions on Cork's season thus far, the poor state of the Piltown GAA pitch that they played on against Waterford and they looked ahead to this Monday's eagerly anticipated showdown with Dublin in Parky Ring. Uh, Eric O'Shea, it is fantastic to see you back in a Cork jersey. You popped up with a goal today. Is this a new addition to the Arsenal for, for, for all the talents that you already have? <laughs> I, I hope so. But under Shane, we're not now as a manager. He's really getting all the backs forward, which is really good. And like We're all getting a, bit, a few scores, so it's nice to see. Um, big change from Australia, the weather and the conditions, but also the heavy pitch today. It was hard going out there today for Cork. Yeah, definitely. But luckily for us, the management kind of had us prepared for all conditions. We trained in the best pitches, the worst pitches. So we had it all and we were ready for today. So um, A tough game as well because Waterford draw was tough nuts to crack, as you well know, from down through the years. And that proved the same again today. But Katie Quirk shut up late on there. Great free to level it and get you a deserved point. Yeah, 100%. Katie, she is so composed and a lot of people would have crumbled in those kind of um, positions. So she took it and yeah, it's credit to us and credit to the management. So she's, yeah, she's outstanding. I can't say enough about her. Um, from your point of view, a lot of new faces in the squad right now, a lot of new players coming and going at the moment. So there's a lot of, lot, of, lot of turnover, a lot of change of people in the dressing room. So there's a lot going on, but at least Cork have not lost that ability to keep fighting, never giving up, and it showed today. I think that's a credit to the management too. They know what they're doing and it just shows today like we have the fight now as a team and yeah, the management just know what they're doing. They're bringing pace, they're bringing everything in and yeah, I'm just delighted to be a part of it all. It's a dream come true coming back. Yeah, it was lovely to come back because obviously it happened very quickly and like you're back home again and all mum and dad are delighted to have you back. But from your own point of view, like the, the life that you've experienced over in Australia already, like it's fantastic for you and an opportunity to go back now as well. Yeah, no, like I'm so glad I did it. I was obviously very young growing over and... To be honest, it grew me up a bit because I had to grow up because I had to mature a bit more. I was a child going out and I came home just physically stronger and a better athlete because of it. And yeah, I'm just so happy to be home and be with the girls again. It's like a big family and it's just so good to be back. Do you miss the Australian weather? I do miss the Australian weather. When I, was leaving, I don't blame you. When I was leaving, it was 35 degrees, so it was hard to leave. Yeah. Okay, no, I feel bad. Uh, and just finally, from your own point of view, you're back, you're training, uh, you're in midfield as well, a new position, all action position for you. You seem to be settling into it, and there's a good few games to come now. Of course, the big one next one, of course, Dublin coming to Cork next Monday, so a lot to look forward to. Yeah, 100%. Dublin will be a good game for us, a good test, and yeah, I can't wait for it now, so bring on the dubs. Okay, Shane Renane, a 2 9 2 9 draw, injury time free from Katie Quirk, earned you a point, but. The overall positives from today's game, real gutsy performance from a very young team, didn't accept defeat and came back to get a point. Yeah, look, I suppose that's we spoke about in the dressing room, Jordan. We, you know, we won a game last week playing some great football, and um, today we showed battling qualities. And I suppose you need to you need to have all those qualities and all those characteristics in the team if you're going to be successful. And look, things weren't going right for us today. 
Um, you know, players just weren't playing. I suppose the way they had played last week. Um, you know, and I think they did respond in a fair. Some like they dug out that draw. They were they were eight points down at one stage. Got it back. Got it. Got it back to you know forward half time. I thought when we got level with ten minutes to go. We were going to kick on a bit, but I suppose looking fairness to Watford, they they went up the field and got went into the lead twice more. So look, look, they're a good team. They should have beaten Kerry last weekend. You know, I watched that video a couple of times, and um, you know they played very well. And they were very lucky not to win the game. So look, they're a good side down here. I don't know, maybe conditions suit them a bit better than it suits us. But um, look, we're, as you said, the bat- those battling qualities are very important for any team. Uh, one of the things this team is going to have to deal with are different conditions, as you said, throughout the league campaign. But today, the pitch was incredibly heavy. It's a poor pitch, let's be honest about it. A really poor pitch for a game of this magnitude. First of all, your, your just reaction to the way your team you know, got, eventually got used to the conditions and responded. But the pitch itself rendered any kind of free-flowing football. There was no hope of that. No, look, I, I suppose we all know those pitches are difficult to get at the time, but I, I, I don't believe this narrative that the, that the game had to be played above Piltone and Kilkenny. You know, I, just, I just don't think that's good enough. And the actual condition of the pitch was very, very poor for a Division One game. Like we're trying to promote this game. There's lots of lots of great work being done. You know, with, within teams and within you know the media and you know the organisation. But it's just not good enough, and I just don't think it, you know, I don't care about this narrative that you can't get pitches. But I just don't think it's good enough to have a, a senior league, a senior, a senior division one league game in a pitch that heavy when there was, you know, you know a perfectly good pitch beside it, an all weather, uh, sorry, sand-based all weather pitch, which was fantastic. Um, you know, this thing about an enclosed pitch, I don't think that was an enclosed pitch, to be honest with you, Jar. Um, so look, we're disappointed about that. But look, I suppose that at the end of the day, that was the conditions for both teams. So I'm delighted with the way our guards responded, especially as you said, a lot of young players out there, you know, energy sapping ground, and they kept going to the very end. And, you know, I'm delighted with that. Like, like Sir Rachel Leahy out there, 18 years of age, you know, she played 65 minutes there. You know, fantastic stuff. Derek Canary as well, just, just out of minor, Aoife Healy, you know, lasted up till near the end. Um, Orla Callan came on for half today. Played very, played very well. Like you know, um, so look, we're delighted with that. Um, with those battling qualities, but I just think I do think it's not good enough, and I don't buy the buy the narrative that they couldn't get a pitch in Watford. Looking ahead, uh, Dublin coming to Cork on Bank Holiday Monday. Hopefully, a big crowd is going to come out and support you for that because that's going to be a really, really interesting game. What are you looking for out of the National League? Because you're trying a lot of the young players. There's a lot of change. There's a lot of there's a lot of turnover in, in personnel, and there's some players that still haven't come back yet. So there's a lot of players to look at. But like, what's the goal from your point of view and your management team looking at all these young players for this campaign? Yeah, look, it is. It, it, ultimately, our goal is supposed to build as strong as possible playing squad for the summer that we know we can look down the bench and have that impact coming off the line uh, you know there was a, a, a that, that's that's the reality of it. and I think today our bench was it was important again um, you know those fresh legs and I think we need that impact during the, during, um, during the summer especially in championship we didn't you know we suppose we've been disappointed at times last year with I suppose that impact that we didn't get off the line but I think we're, we're hoping to get it this year um, you know look at it's very tight to get to the league final you know you're probably to win five or six games you know uh, so that, that's going to be tight but look if we don't get the league final we're, you know, we're not overly worried about that as well there's going to be plenty of other championship games but I think we're unearthing players uh, players are getting great experience those younger girls are now being exposed to you know really tough uh, tough adult football where you know there's no quarter asked or no quarter given and it's, it's, it's a huge step up from, from minor level but I think they're responding very well there's a huge positivity in there inside the group uh, you know that we have a big squad here today other girls ready to come back um, so look in the Dublin game next week is you know it's going to be very interesting Dublin were well beaten by Galway today so they're going to be they're going to be smart enough to that Mick Bowen won't be happy with that so they're going to be coming into coming down next week I suppose last year we played Dublin in the league and we would have been very disappointed with the way we played you know it was boring and embarrassing the way, you know, for everybody involved in the squad so look, we're hoping for a big performance 
nice crowd next. You know, it's, it's a new bank holiday. You know, people can shake off the you know the, the hangovers or whatever during you know come down and support the girls. I think they deserve that. Um, you know, and look at we're in a we're in a top class facility next weekend in in, in parking and you know fair play to Cork GA uh, for for allowing us use it because that's the the proper setting for a, a national league game. Perfect. All the best, man. Thanks very much, John. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. AFLW Ireland expert and coach to current and former Irish Aussie Rules professionals Mike Curran rejoins us on the new season of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Mike joined me this week to chat about the upcoming AFLW season 8.0, what's in store for a busy pre-season and much, much more. Thrilled now to welcome back for a brand new season here on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Uh, we got a huge reaction to this last year simply because of his expertise, but also because of the number of Irish players involved. And that is AFLW expert and coach to the current and former and future stars, Mike Curran. Mike, welcome back to the Big Red Bench. How are you? Very good, you're great to be back chatting to you. Another year and an, another season pending. It's hard to believe it. My God, season 8.0. Am I correct? Is that the correct pronunciation, season 8.0? I th- Yeah, I think we're back to straightforward 2023 this time. Though. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> it's enough. It's a bit unusual with the two seasons, so I think they're reverted to season 2023, hopefully. But obviously you're correct. It's, it's yeah. version 8.0 of AFLW, so um, exciting that we're seven seasons done and dusted already. Yeah, like last year's one flew. I remember when we started off at the beginning of the season, we were doing pre-season, we were talking about and announcing players one by one and then all of a sudden we were straight into it and before you knew it, it was grand final. I mean, for you, it was an absolute whirlwind, but we're into the new year and you are already very busy um, with uh, coaching and talking to a lot of people um, potentially who might be going over, a lot of people who might be interested and I know this is quite a busy time period for you but in terms of the AFLW have you a rough timetable of what's to come over the next couple of months before we get into the action we do Jerry, but it's just rough at the minute because mm. we're in the never ending circle or um, of actually waiting for dates to be finalised and stuff so where the whole thing is at you remember uh, last season we talked a lot about the CBA the collective bargaining yes. agreement which delayed the start of the previous season until that was agreed and obviously then we then had frantic activity when we had two seasons across one year and I tell you everybody's glad of a little break at the minute players coaches alike but uh, you correctly said it no sooner was the grand final played um, at the end of last season when we were looking ahead towards 2023 and looking at new players and working with new players and stuff but at the minute um it's anticipated and it is all subject to confirmation with this new CBA is that the season will start approximately around the same time as it did last year. So we're looking at pre-season starting somewhere around the 29th of May, 1st of June. So that kind of first Monday in June, potentially. And the actual season itself, then we're looking at about 10 to 12 weeks of pre-season. And the season itself, then, is, is scheduled to start again provisionally at the buy round in the AFL which I think off the top of my head is either the, the 29th or 30th of August or the 1st of September that weekend so pretty much the same slot that it started in last season the one thing that it's envisaged would be slightly different this time around is we'll probably have an extra round or two so we had 10 rounds last year plus four rounds of finals this season we're likely to have 11 or 12 rounds plus four rounds of finals so what that will mean is while it mightn't fully add two weeks they're looking at maybe doing some lightning games so there might be two week period where teams will play three matches like a Friday night a Wednesday night a Sunday night something like that um, and then you'll have four weeks finals so it'll be probably into the first week in December slash second week in December when we have the grand final this time around so it, it'll push on an extra week or two uh, into December here but that they're the dates we're kind of 
working to at the minute. But mm. as I say, until it's finalised with the CBA, nobody will know for sure. And that CBA, as well as confirming the dates of the season, the dates of pre-season, it'll also um, determine the contracts for the players and all the other bits and details, the dates of the sign and trade period, which is the one that's going to be of most interest to us here mm. when we start getting some of these new players um, announced, uh, the draft, all these important events that have to happen before the season starts. And the other thing to note, I suppose, about the CBA is it's kind of a historic in itself in that the AFL men's CBA is also up for renewal this time. So for the first time ever now, they're negotiating a giant CBA. So that's not going to be done in a couple of weeks. That's a major deal. It's a historic event. So again, I think what they're looking at is that there's going to be an interim um, women's CBA that gives the dates so that the clubs, coaches and players can can plan their season and uh, the rest of the nitty-gritty of the CBA will probably drag on for another month or two because it's so significant that it's a joint um, agreement for the first time ever. Yeah, and as you said, like every year there's there's a new historic step with the AFLW and this is another one that you've outlined very well there. It's going to be very interesting and I know we're going to be talking about it around it and keep tabs on it when the time comes. And again, I appreciate it. Like you understand, this is a movable feast. We don't have definitive dates, but the I suppose a rough idea for players and for coaches and for mentors and for everything that comes with it. And also, I would imagine for TV rights and sorting all those things out when, when the fixtures eventually do come, um, this is the time of year, I suppose, the nitty gritty and, and you know, you're in the middle of the mud and you've got to you've got to get it all sorted one thing we do know Mike is two Irish players status heading into 2023 um, and we also have the potential I would imagine without details being given away just yet of a few more Irish potentially going over oh yeah we do Jerry. look at we last season we had 22 Irish players as it stands at the minute we know that Breed Stack has, has retired and what a, a career she had across the last couple of years down at um, the Giants and we've also known that Ailish Constant was delisted by the Crows there at the end of the season so obviously I definitely don't think Breed is going back she's not going to change her no mind she's one. not I but, spoke to her yeah, yeah over Christmas and the new year yeah, yeah she's, she's had a, a fantastic experience over there which is great but I think she's back to base now um, and feet firmly fixed here in Cork but um, in terms of Ailish I'm, I'm actually working with Ailish at the minute as well and obviously Ailish has been delisted but there's strong interest in Ailish from other clubs so there's the likelihood that she will go back now that would become a decision for her um, she might decide to stay in Ireland, she might decide to go back and play another season or two, but there's definitely strong interest and options for her to do that. So that's potentially exciting as well. So outside of that, you're assuming that most of the other 20 players will be going back. Uh, again, nothing is definite, but it's it's highly likely. And at this stage, a bold prediction this early in January, <laughs> but I think we could be looking at somewhere close to 30 Irish players wow. next season. The interest levels, Mike, and again, you, that look, that's a rough figure. You can't be certain of that, and we appreciate that. But the interest levels, I spoke to Eric O'Shea um, on Sunday following Cork's National League draw with Waterford, and she we, she name-checked you, and we were talking about you and how much she appreciated what you've, been do, what you've done for her. Um, the, the ability for her to play for Cork for the entirety of the championship, however long that may be, and then return. And she's, she's gone back to college now in UL as well. So she's home and she's able to do what she wants to do. And then she has the ability to go back and be a professional over in Australia in time for pre-season, in time for a brand new series all over again into the winter. That's a huge selling point for, for inter-county players, I would imagine, at this, at this juncture. Huge selling point. Now, look, at, uh, again, it'll vary player to player and club to club. And, and Eric has had an exceptional season, but it just goes to show like the players just don't go haphazardly. Like a lot of work went on behind the scenes. So obviously 
Erica went out to North Melbourne at the start of pre-season last year. So she missed her championship season here, but she had such a phenomenal debut season Mm. that North Melbourne have granted her permission to stay at home and play through the championship. So that's huge for Erica and huge for Cork, obviously, of course. Uh, But it's just testament to how well she's done. And we have a similar scenario with some of the other girls. You know, Vicky Wall also had an outstanding debut season. She's able to come back and play with Meath in the championship now later in the summer. Um, a similar situation probably with Orla Lally although they're just in between coaches at Fremantle Dockers at the minute so she probably just needs to get confirmation on that Blind Mackin is back playing with Armagh for the full season after oh, the best debut season of them all winning yes. the premiership so yeah it just goes to show I think when, when the players uh, signings were announced last year there was some debate that there was going to be a player drain and a talent drain and all the best players were going to be gone but I wasn't worried about that at all at the time because these clubs want what's best for the Irish players and they want their Irish players to be happy and where it's um, sustainable and, and workable, they will do everything they can to make sure that happens. Like even with Erica, before she left last year, we were working with UL to make sure there was an option for her to do her study online for that semester that she was missing and we knew she'd be back in January and we knew she'd be back up in UL and she's playing football with UL. She'll play in the colleges there. She's playing with Cork. So brilliant, yeah. The, the fact that they're able to have I, the best of both worlds, I suppose, the best way to describe it is fantastic for those players that have come back and, and will play it through the championship. But they, again, I think that's the important bit to the point to reiterate is that the clubs are all about the Irish players' welfare. They want their experience in Australia to be good. They want them to be happy. They want their experience back here at home to be good for the time that they're home. So at the moment, uh, there's good workable solutions in place for all those players. But I suppose while it is very attractive to, to everybody else and, and the phone is definitely hopping, <laughs> you do have to go out there and produce the goods. So like, even mm. though the likes of Vicky went out after winning on Ireland and only had two weeks of a preseason, she hit the ground uh, like a stormtrooper and had a, had a brilliant first season. So when you do that, you're able to negotiate for yourself yeah. to get home and play. So that might not happen 100% for everybody, but definitely if, um, if you perform and the club are happy, it's definitely something that's uh, an arrangement that's achievable. And that's great to see as well, that we get to see those players here at home um, across the championship. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's the balance of both worlds as much as it possibly can be achieved. And it's obviously, as you said, it's up to each individual player and their franchises and their teams and coaches and what's best for them. Um, but it's certainly uh, doing Erica and Vicky the world of good anyway, even since they've come home as, a, as, as just as two examples. So a lot to look forward to, Mike. Uh, it's still very early in the year. Uh, it's 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 only the first week of February. We're a long way off from when uh, you know the competitive action starts. But I know and you know that there's going to be nothing short of headlines between now and then at various junctures. And we're delighted to have you back here on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to bring your expertise throughout the preseason, throughout all the, uh, the CBAs, throughout all that very, very important negotiating and contract signing period. And of course, then once the action starts or regular reviews and previews uh, to take us right up uh, yet again to another December. Um, looking forward to talking to you throughout the year. Yeah, Jer, for sure. Look at it. People might think we're mad starting to hype up the 23 season at the end of January, start of February. But look, you've nailed it there. I think across the next couple of weeks, once that sign and trade opens, uh, I'm working with the players here in the background. There's going to be announcements. It's going to be exciting. And probably every week or two, there's going to be a new announcement and something new to chat about. So it will roll in and we know how quick the time passes. So um, we'll have plenty to keep us occupied between now and the start of pre-season and the start of the season. So looking forward to another year of chatting to you on the Big Red Bench. Likewise. Great to have you back, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. No problem, Jer. Thank you. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Monster Hockey Pierrot Graham Catchpole is back on the Big Red Bench for another season. 
Graham spoke to me about a very busy winter and New Year period for Munster women's hockey, including the Munster Under-18 girls' recent interprovincial success at the expense of Ulster, Skullvura beating Regina Mundy in this year's schoolgirls final, and a review of all the recent Munster Senior League, Women's EY1 and 2 club results. Now, we are delighted here on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to welcome back once again, at the start of a brand new season, the Munster Hockey PRO, Graham Catchball, who's been brilliant to us over the last couple of years, bringing us all the latest information and news on the Munster uh, Women's Interprovincials, Schools and Senior League and EY1 and 2 and he's back again, whether he likes it or not, for another season <laughs> to talk all things uh, hockey and it's been a very interesting Christmas and New Year, uh, so we've plenty to talk about. Graham, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench. How are you? Thanks for having me again, Ger. I'm very good. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. First week of February. That's how long it took us to say it. But anyway, we got there in the end. As I mentioned, uh, the New Year was as especially busy and especially positive too uh, for Munster women's hockey. Let's start though with the Munster under 18 girls and why they made headlines, Graham. Yeah, so the, the Munster 18, under 18 girls had a, a, a superb victory over over Ulster in the, I suppose, the final of the, the Interpros uh, just before Christmas. So it was an absolutely brilliant victory for, for the under 18s. Um, it's not often, I suppose, that, um, that, that Munster sides do win the Interpros. Um, so it, it's particularly significant for, the, for this group, I suppose. Um, the final against Ulster um, was, was, first of all, actually postponed due to weather and they had to push it out a, a couple of weeks until the, the pitches defrosted. Um, but the, the, the final against Ulster was, was a very exciting match. Um, Ulster actually went ahead 1-0 with, with eight minutes to go, um, uh, putting Munster under a severe pressure. Um, and it actually wasn't until the very last play of the game that, that Munster equalised um, so one all at f- full time um, and into a shootout straight away. Um, and, and Munster came out the, the right side of that, winning it 3-2. So a fantastic uh, result for, for uh, the, the team and uh, the coaches and, and all, all the parents involved as well. Uh, many a journey has been made to, to, I suppose, go to all these training sessions, go to all these matches. And I'm sure this uh, makes it all worthwhile for, for the group. Yeah, and you mentioned there, Graham, that at interprovincial level, like 14 and 16 is one thing because it's getting the grounding and understanding the step up from club for very young girls. But at 18, am I right in saying a lot of the girls in the Munster setup would have come through the 14 and 16 experiences and that it's it's a real, it's the first real adult test at this level. And it's hugely competitive because you're, Connacht aren't bad, Leinster are always strong and Ulster are Ulster. So for Munster to do this is a real achievement. Yeah, it, it really is. I suppose you know the competition is fierce. Um, this is kind of almost like the the last step before girls would get start getting drafted into full um, international, uh, I suppose, squads and panels. Um, there is an under twenty one, I suppose, uh, structure, but but I suppose girls really get noticed at the under eighteen level. Um, and yes, most of the girls will have played fourteens, sixteens, all the ways up. Uh, but so, some of them will be, you know, kind of uh, late developers and will actually come on the scene kind of, um, I suppose, you know, at the age of 17 and 18. So um, it's, it's a, I suppose it's a good mix, I suppose, of, of, of talent there. Um, and, and from all, uh, you know, from all the provinces or from all the counties around um, the province as well. So a good mix of players there between Tip and uh, Cork and Limerick and Waterford. So, yeah, a really good mix. 
Yeah, really good mix and well done to them. So winning the uh, 2022, is it 2022 or 2023? It's 2022, uh, under 18. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're already into the new year. There we are straight away, but well done to the Munster under 18 girls, beating Ulster 3-2 in a shootout after that game ended 1-1, as Graham outlined there. Another significant game recently in Munster women's hockey circles was the school girls final. Now, I was following this on social media well, and what I was doing but it was I got very very interested in it because there's a lot of history involved Graham because of the two finalists involved yeah so the, the two finalists involved have, have made the odd final over the, the, the last couple of years but um, both both schools I suppose involved the final Regina Monday and um, Skullvera they haven't won it in a very very long time so uh, Skullvera hadn't won it in 48 years uh, Regina Monday hadn't won it in 35 years um, so it was all to play for on the on the day, and I suppose um, what a what a build up I suppose to it. Um, and in fairness, there was quite a lot of sponsorship behind it from from So Hockey, um, which was brilliant to see. Um, really, really good sponsorship. Uh, over a thousand tickets sold uh, for the final. Um, so a really big event held in in Ashton School um, just over a week ago, I suppose at this point. And we had a winner in Skullvera and a, an emphatic win. Yeah, it was. It was it, while it was a close game at the start. Skullvera took an early lead. Uh, Regina Monday uh, hit back just before the the end of quarter one, um, and, and after that, then Skullvera kind of showed, I suppose, that they they were the the, the stronger team and and pulled away. I suppose uh, ended up winning five one. Um, a good display from from both teams, but particularly I suppose Skullvera were were probably very very strong and the better team on the day. Um, I know they'd met earlier in the league this year and it was a, probably a closer affair. Um, but uh, yeah, Skullvera just unbeatable, I suppose, on the day. And when you say they're like over a thousand tickets sold, what does that say about the popularity of hockey? I mean, this is a schools final. Granted, it's big and there's two clo- two schools involved with a lot of history and hadn't been, hadn't won it before. But even I could sense even from the social media and the videos and the pictures, there was a cracking atmosphere and a, a really good advert for Monster Women's Hockey, Graham, for you. Yeah, a, a super event, and, and and often the schools games actually get uh, get bigger attendances than some of the league games. So um, that's just the way it goes, I suppose. They, I suppose they had both both uh, both sets of schools and, and supporters and parents and grandparents all attending on the day. Um, as I said, it was a, a great advertisement for for Monster Hockey, um, and uh, yeah, the, the both sets of supporters were uh, suitably vocal, um, which was only adding to the atmosphere. Indeed, well done to, to Skullborough and well done to Regina Mundy as well, even qualifying for the final. Um, hopefully they'll bounce back again next year, but fantastic to see such a positive experience for everybody involved and, uh, and it looked really good on social media It looked and it has, it has brought a lot of positive vibes and hopefully schoolgirls' uh, competitions will continue in that manner. It's also been a very busy period in the Munster Senior League over the uh, winter period and New Year, Graham. Um, as it stands right now, I'm looking at the table here, UCC are three points clear of Cork Harlequins, uh, four clear of Church of Ireland and uh, fourth placed Ashton are on 17 points but there were some significant results in that particular league in the recent times Yeah it, it's kind of starting to look like a two horse race between UCC and Harlequins at the moment I suppose some of the significant win uh, results I suppose over Christmas were um, UCC beating Ashton 3-1 um, I suppose C of I as well staying in the hunt as well beating Bandon 1-0 last weekend Um there's also been um, uh, the first round of the, the cup competition, um, which has been, you know, 
tightly contested, I suppose, in, in a number of fronts. So um, if we look at the first round of the cup there, UCC beat Belvedere 4-0. Uh, Harlequins beat Bandon 3-0 Waterford beat Blackrock 2-1 uh, Church of Ireland beat Ashton 3-2 so, so some really very close games there I suppose in the cup competition as well but certainly the league is 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 looking more like a two horse race now but definitely the likes of CI and Ashton could probably still get back in it um, if they if they you know string a couple of results together yeah, and it also looks like, as you said, CFI, Ashton, even Bandon might take points off one of the two leaders. So it's going to be very, very tight um, running in. But UCC with eight wins out of eight, uh, they must have a serious coaching team involved there, uh, Graham, if they're if they're getting that record up there. Yeah, absolutely. They have a great, uh, I suppose, coaching team there in, in Dave Hobbs, Paddy Hartnett. Uh, Colette Kumi uh, and and Patrick, their SNC coach as well. So they have a proper, almost professional setup there in UCC going at the moment. Now UCC and Quinns have to play each other twice yet in the league, so ah. that's going to be very, very interesting to see how those games go. So they're coming up in the next couple of weeks, um, so they'll be definitely ones to look out for. Yes, we'll keep tabs on those. Excellent. Uh, nothing like a good title run in to keep, uh, keep the headlines churning as well, as you said. And uh, in fairness, both UCC and Cork Harlequins are currently in prime position, but don't rule out C of I or Ashton or even Bandon, as you said, yeah, getting a few results uh, between now and the end of the season. We finish up by turning our attention to the women's EY1 and EY2 leagues, uh, Graham. And as we speak, uh, Loretto and Catholic Institute are joint top of women's EY1, um, and they've had some significant results in recent times as well. Absolutely. So it's it, it's been very very close, I suppose, at the top of, of EY one. Uh, great to see Catholic Institute from from Limerick doing so well. They're up at the top. Um, they've had a couple of, of of draws lately. I think you know in, in at the start of the year, um, drawing with UCD there last weekend um, in, in a very close uh, close affair. Um, and I think having a draw the, the week before that as well against uh, Monkstown at home, probably a game they would have fancied themselves uh, to, to, to take a win in, but they were 2-0 down going into the la- you know going into the second half, so I'm sure they're probably happy to come away with a point in the end. Um, but definitely um, going to be a very close run in, uh, you know, between the likes of Loretto Catholic Institute and UCD. Um, past champions, uh, Pembroke are sitting in fourth place, um, so they could still string a couple of results together and, and maybe, maybe get, get involved in a title race as well. Yeah, let's hope so, definitely. And Catholic Institute, as you said, doing really well there to keep pace with Loretto. We finish by looking at the women's EY2, Pool A and Pool B, and two teams in particular of interest to us, obviously UCC, um, and also Harlequins in, in separate groups, and they've had a couple of positive results as well just this past weekend. Yeah, so so I suppose let's start with Harlequins. Harlequins went away to, to Queen's University, Belfast, and, and, and just came out the wrong side of a, a 3-2 um, a result. Um, again, a very tough journey I suppose to make up to the up to the north of Ireland and, and come o- trying to come away with something um, and Queen's would be a very strong unit much much the same as the likes of UCD and, and, and UCC so just coming out the wrong side of that result um, a really positive uh, win for, for UCC away to Muckris in, in, in Dublin at the weekend mm-hmm. uh, Jane Murphy and Abby O'Mahony on the score sheet there um, a really strong Muckris team I suppose um, they've, they've, they've I suppose shown in recent seasons being part of EY 
by one that they are a good unit. So for UCC to go away and, and win and get the get the five points as it is um, and climb the table above Mockers is, is certainly a you know a, a great result for them. It puts them kind of back in the mix um, for for the, the the playoff places, I suppose. So first, second, and third from each group, I suppose, will will go through to the playoffs. So uh, that puts UCC third at the moment, uh, just behind um, Ulster Elks and um, Avoca, who are two points ahead then of, of Ulster Elks. So yeah, all to play for, I suppose, in both groups. Excellent stuff. So we wish uh, Cork Harlequins and UCC all the best in that in their attempts to qualify for the knockout stages from the women's EY to Pool A and Pool B. We finished with the Monster, Monster, women's Monster top scorers, one of my favourites. I love these charts. But Beth Ann O'Farrell from Cork Harlequins is top of the charts at the moment with 14 goals. Emma O'Sullivan from UCC is 13. Kate Harvey from Ashton is on 11, as is Michelle Barry from Cork Harlequins on 11. And another Cork Harlequins player running out the top five, Yvonne O'Byrne, with 10 goals to her name. We'll keep an eye on those as well to see who finishes top of that particular chart. But that's it. First uh, recap of the new year and the new season uh, uh, with Munster Women's Hockey. Once again, Graham Catchwall, we're delighted to have you back with us here on Corks Red FM's Big Red Bench on the Women in Sport podcast. And we'll talk to you again next week. Brilliant. Thanks a million, Ger. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and guests between 6 and 7pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels as well as visiting our official website redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM.